piece of Deacon Deacon Jeff Rosignol. It's a fine blend of discipleship and entertainment. Truth is here. All right, we have a very special guest who is the alumni pastor of this church from, if I understand, 94 to 2000. So, 2000 ish? So that's 16 years ago? Yeah. Oh, did you have to say that? <laughs> <laughs> and his tapes are still in the back? <laughs> <laughs> so excellent. So without further ado, it is a privilege to bring up Dr. Charles Colton. Thanks, Pastor. I appreciate that introduction. And yes, it's, oh my goodness, words cannot express the feelings we have to be back here with all of you and to have spent some time with a couple of you fam- families, you know, and um, I won't make all of the rest of you feel left out, but <laughs> we go back a long way with some of you, and it's been just a joy, and um, I pinch myself. I can't believe we're actually back here in the sanctuary of Pawpaw Bible Church. I, you, know, you know what I'm saying? It's almost surreal. Life has gone on, and many years have passed, and many things have happened, and uh, this is quite a unique experience, and I've promised uh, several of you we won't wait so long to come back again. But I just want to add this to that. You're all invited to come see us, too. Don't wait for us to come down here, because, you know, I break promises. <laughs> uh, not always intentionally, okay? But, yeah, so what has happened in the intervening 16 years, um, well, as some of you know, many of you know, we... Uh, we left our, our jobs, our lives in Northern Virginia, and we um, went up to Western New York, Panama, New York. So that's not Panama down there, but Panama, New York, near Jamestown, where I served as a senior pastor of the Panama Baptist Church for for nine years. And and here's just a little interesting tidbit about that church. Uh, one of our pastors was James T. Jeremiah. Does that sound familiar? That's the dad of David Jeremiah. Some of you may still listen to Dave Jeremiah on the radio. Well, James T. Jeremiah and his new bride Ruth puttered into town on a Ford something or other, and uh, they ministered there for several years. And uh, James T. Dr. Jeremiah himself went on to rescue Cedarville College, which is today Cedarville University. I got the attention of uh, the regular Baptist youth all across the country, said, come to Cedarville, Ohio. So we have a few. Um, uh, notables in our in our history, as you have in your. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just talking about myself again. No, um, but Jeremiah Colonel Jeremiah Drake was a pastor uh, at uh, what was then the First Baptist Church of Harmony, and uh, he uh, lost his life at the Battle of Cold Harbor, here uh, next door in Virginia during the Civil War. So uh, rich history. So, um, anyways, glad to be glad to be back here. Um. Let's see. I'm glad to have my wife with me too, Lisa Beth. There she is. See this banner right here? She made this. Yeah, I was, that's, that's her right there. Right there. She made this banner. Okay. This is a section you might want to cut out of the podcast, by the way. This morning, um, y'all brought your Bibles, right? This is a Bible church. Okay. So if you want to know anything else... Um, Oh, I was going to talk about Davis College. I promised 20 seconds at Davis College. So after nine years at Panama Baptist Church, the Lord called us to the Binghamton, New York area, where I've been serving as a a professor, an associate professor now, uh, for seven years. I uh, chaired the organizational leadership program. I'm now interim chair of the pastoral studies program, which is a real privilege. And I teach uh, systematic theology, one and two, Acts, Romans, 
Pauline epistles. You have to wear a lot of hats at a small Bible college, which is kind of fun. Meanwhile, uh, Elizabeth has found her own uh, niche at Davis College. She began serving as assistant to the registrar several years ago. And in the intervening years, she completed her master's degree in uh, education with a focus on math. And so she is also our adjunct professor of mathematics at Davis College. She's it. She's our math teacher. Isn't that cool? I thought you'd want to know that. And now she's blushing. Okay, so we got all that out of the way. So if you have your Bibles, um, and okay, well, you know, we're in James chapter 3, so if you ever get to verses 13 through 17, you can skip it. (laughs) If pastor doesn't skip it, that means he didn't think I did a good enough job. (laughs) Now, the the title of of our study, and I think this is going to be more like a a study, okay, uh, is what's to like about humility? And so, I don't know if any of you have noticed, Nellie, you know, but I've been trying to be real humble this weekend because I knew I'd be preaching on it and I wanted to set a good example. How did I do? No? <laughs> Might get proud about that. But anyway, humility is a tough sell, isn't it? And that's why I titled this message, What's to Like About Humility? And, and I don't want to mislead you. I preached this recently at another church. And, and so uh, when Pastor Jeff asked me if I w- would want to share down here, I thought that would be an easy thing to do on fairly short notice. So um, this is not special to you, and I don't want to mislead you in that way. But what's to like about humility? If you're in James chapter 3, um, let's just take a look at verse 13. Verse 13 starts with a question. And uh, so that's not a bad place to begin, asking questions. Here's what James asks, verse 13, James 3. Who is wise and understanding among you? Now, don't all raise your hands at once. That would be the opposite of humble. (laughs) I'm wise. All right, but who is wise and understanding among you? And that's a great question on the part of James because uh, all throughout the Scriptures, in particular, we think of the book of Proverbs and all of the witticisms that we find there, words of wisdom, that we want to be wise, don't we? Don't we want to be wise? And so, um, so James is going to tell us how we... Uh, well, not how we can become humble, but he is going to tell us in part how we can become wise and it has everything to do with humility. That's that's the um, that's the, the the major point this morning. If you if you miss everything else, but if we were to answer that question with a question, perhaps the question would be this: just to make sure we're all on board. And uh, where's Barbara? There you are, Barbara. We got to set the hook. <laughs> we're going to set the hook now. All right. She introduced me to that. How many of us wouldn't want to be known as someone who's wise and understanding? We look up to people who are wise and understanding. And so, if I could just set that hook and and, and ask that question and get us all to say, man, yeah, I would like to be that person. Most of us, if we're not studying God's Word, are going to go about getting that wisdom in entirely the wrong way. Really, it's utterly simple, and it's in this passage. So, we want to be wise. Why? Because we want to be wise as we make decisions in life. All the decisions we make, career decisions, purchasing decisions, we have a lot of options in this society. We are so blessed. And we've all made unwise decisions. I have made too many to count. I still kick myself from things I've, decisions I've made 10 years ago. I tell you, I'd be so much richer financially if I had made some decisions differently than I made, you know, in terms of trying to weigh the stock market and what should I do, should I buy, should I sell, those kinds of things. And we've all been there and we all kick ourselves. We wish we would be wise in those kinds of decisions. Relationships. As often as not, we have 
Well, we would say in hindsight, in the rearview mirror, we had had some bad relationships. I'm not talking about romantic relationships necessarily, but just friendships. You know, you, 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 you frequent the wrong crowd and it rubs off on you in the wrong way. And we wish that we hadn't had such a developed relationship with certain people in our life. We wish we had gone separate paths because we have uh, picked up some things that have been detrimental, have been harmful to us, right? Uh, so friendships, but also, indeed, uh, lifelong relationships, choice of a spouse. Now, don't be looking at each other right now, but some of you are saying, boy, I wish I... <laughs> I wish I had exercised some wisdom, right? <laughs> don't look at your husband. Don't look at your wife. Okay. But we want to be wise. And so as, we are, as we're rearing children, we want to pass that along and say, you know what? You need to be wise about the one you choose to be your life mate. So we want to be wise in all departments of life. We want to be wise in the decisions we make in our careers, in our jobs, in our vocations, in our callings. We want to be wise as to be able to seek happiness. You say, well, what is happiness? I don't know, I suppose everybody has their definition of happiness. I would think that somewhere along the line, though, that happiness has with it some measure of success in whatever it is you're pursuing, if we can just leave it wide open, whatever your pursuit, that you would be successful in that. And insofar as you are successful in that pursuit, you are um, fulfilled, right? That would be a sense of happiness, to be fulfilled, to lay your head on your pillow each night, look up at the ceiling, which is dark, so you're looking up at God and you're saying, God, thank you for my blessed life. Thank you for the fulfilling life that I have. And that would be a measure of success. And, of course, it involves your relationships as well. So we want to be wise. We want to be understanding. And so our prayer this morning is, God, help us to be that. Let's pray that right now, okay? And let's ask for God's help. Let's pray. Father, we open your word this morning as we begin to get into it. We do ask for your help. We ask for your spirit's help to illuminate your word to our hearts, to our minds. We would not leave here indifferent to what we've seen as to one who walks into uh, a mirror and walks away from it as James himself will talk about but father may we look into your word this morning with the intention of carrying it out with doing what we have read this morning so that we might be known as those who are wise we pray in Jesus name amen now we're in the book of James and I'm jumping right into chapter 3 and that's always dangerous so just before we get started uh, Hook, look, Barbara, look. <laughs> okay, let's just review a little bit about James. If you know anything about James, many of us do. Seems to be the favorite go-to book to, when you're starting an evangelical Bible study. Let's study the book of James. Why do we do that, by the way? Because James is so utterly practical, isn't it? And so, um, James, among other things, is all about doing, not just professing. All about doing, not just saying. Practicing what we preach. And I just want to, uh, without reviewing the whole book up until this point, maybe just touch on a few passages to show you what we're talking about. So chapter 1, verse 21, for example. Uh, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. So we're receiving the word, which is able to save your souls, to be sure. But look at verse 22. But be doers of the word, doers and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So already James is launching into his uh, theme, perhaps, of the letter that we have to do, not just say. In fact, if you go down to chapter 2, verse 14. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? And so sure enough, at the end of the day, at the end of the age, what we do matters. 
as, as much as I want to assure you that I'm a card-carrying evangelical Protestant minister and that salvation comes to us by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, I want to remind you that when you get back to the last book of the Bible and when, and when the, the throngs of people are standing before Christ at the great white throne judgment, anybody remember? What is the basis of the judgment there? Works. They're judged by their deeds. And those who are found wanting are cast into the lake of fire. I believe that is the judgment of the lost. And I don't think too many get out of there because of that situation because the believers have already been judged differently and are at that point present with the Lord. So um, anyway, that's James. And I'm not done, am I? Verse, uh, verse 18 of chapter 2. Look at verse 18 of chapter 2. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. By the way, Paul himself, this is James, and some would say James is at uh, um, loggerheads with Paul. I don't believe that for an instant, first of all, because I believe all of Scripture is inspired and therefore inerrant, and can, we can find a way to make Paul and James agree. And I, I think this is a simple one, because Paul is not indifferent to our works. If you look at Romans chapter 8, Paul would say the same thing. If there's no vital life signs in our lives, then perhaps we need to ask ourselves whether we're saved. He says in, uh, to the Corinthians, uh, examine yourselves to make sure you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in, is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? So Paul is, is uh, no different than James on this score. And then in um, chapter 2, we'll, we'll, be, we'll, we'll end with verse 26. The last verse of the chapter, chapter 2, because then we're going to launch into chapter 3 in part. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now, that said, we just began this morning by looking at chapter 3, verse 13. We read the first sentence because it's a question. Let's finish the verse. Verse 13 of chapter 3. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct... If I had to go back and read that, I'd emphasize the word show. Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. So James is still on this show and tell uh, theme that he's been rehearsing through chapter 1 and chapter 2. It's no different here in chapter 3. By the way, wisdom. We started out by talking about wisdom, which isn't really the subject. It's just one-third of the message this morning. But maybe you were asking, yeah, I want to be wise, but now I've given you some clues already. But I want to be wise. What is the way of wisdom? It's in this verse. Did you miss it? It's in this verse. Who is wise and understanding among you? That's the question. Well, let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the... What's the word you have there? Uh, Meekness. Anything else? Meekness. I'm, I'm in the New King James Bible, by the way. Gentleness. The word there is uh, proutes in the Greek. It can also be translated, guess what? Humility. Meekness. Humility. Gentleness, they go hand in hand. A gentle person is likely to be a humble person, right? Someone who's gentle doesn't have to have his way all the time. Someone who is pliable, flexible, and all the other things. So, verse 13, what is the way of wisdom? Well, James is saying there's something about humility. There's something about meekness. There's something about gentleness. There's something about humility that makes our work good... And there's something about wisdom that involves humility. In other words, let me say that a different way. Wisdom is characterized by humility. The humility of wisdom. So something about humility makes us wise. 
Something about humility makes our work good, if you read through that verse again. Something I would add, there's something about humility that makes our work effective, that makes our ministry effective. Humility. Humility ends up being at the root of everything that's right about our lives and about our ministries, about our families. It's humility. That's the prayer we want to pray. God, give us humility that we might be wise. Now, that's interesting uh, today, as I intimated a, a while ago at the beginning, because humility is such a hard sell in our culture today. You listen to the same, if you're, if you're watching television or you're streaming anything on the internet, like, like I might do, you're watching some of the same commercials. Did you, did you ever uh, watch a commercial and have somebody, have the announcer say, hey, I've got this product for you. It's great. It's going to color your hair. It's going to make you look 10 years younger. But you know what? You don't deserve that. You don't need this product. No, 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 no. That's counterproductive to their purposes. What are they telling you? They're telling you, you need this. Wait a minute. You what? Deserve this. You have this coming. You've worked. For, what are they doing? Are they, are they creating an attitude of humility? No, 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 no. They're puffing us up. And we're going to buy that product. Why? Because I'm worth it. See, it's the opposite of humility. That's the message of our culture today. So, it's a hard sell. And that's why in the moments we have remaining, what do we have till 1 o'clock? In the moments we have remaining, no, I've got to go to dinner. I'm not going to stay here till 1 o'clock. We'll cut that out of the podcast. <laughs> we're going to try to sell humility. Okay, that's what we're going to do. I find that um, we know what the Word of God says, but sometimes we're not convinced, despite what we believe or profess about the Bible being the Word of God, we don't always believe, truly believe, that it's good for us. <laughs> so how could being humble, you say, oh man, if I'm a humble person, I'm going to be that proverbial mat that everybody walks on, right? People are just going to stomp on me. They're going to climb over me. They're going to get ahead of me, right? I'm not going to be that humble person. And in fact, in many of the, much of the secular literature, including business literature, they would say if you're going to succeed in business, you need to get out. You had to charge ahead, right? You need to. You need to. Some would say you need to climb up the ladder, climb over the backs of others. You got to stand up for yourself, right? Stand up for yourself. That's not what God says. Part of the problem is we define success differently. By the way, we have to keep that in mind. Although that's not the subject of the message this morning. All right, so. Let's try to sell humility. The first point is already in review. It's already in the rearview mirror. And point number one, I see, hey, thanks, Pastor. I see in the bulletin we have a whole blank sheet of paper. If you want to take notes this morning, here's point number one, okay? If you're writing things down. Point number one is we try to sell humility. There's just something about humility that is wise. That's how, we, that's how I tried to hook you this morning. We want to be wise. Well, there's something about humility that is wise. There are no shortcuts here. There, there, did you hear that? There are no shortcuts here. There, there isn't a proud person on the planet who is truly wise. There is not a single egotistical person on this planet who is truly, truly wise. There isn't a self-serving person in this world who is truly wise in the eyes of God. And I think that's what James is getting at. We're not to be proud, we're not to be overconfident, we're not to be egotistical, because if we're that way, we're not going to be wise, and if we want to be wise, we're not going to be that way. All right, anybody have Proverbs um, sixteen eighteen? What's that say? Um, pride goes before 
That's in there. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. All right? So you can count on it. It's a proverb. It's not a promise. But statistically speaking, <laughs> that's how I take the proverbs, right? It, it, that's, that's the truth of God's word in that particular genre, in the proverbs, right? And I mentioned already that the word uh, in our text here in verse 13, translated meekness in the New King James, can also be translated uh, gentleness, if you have the New American Standard, for example. And uh, if you look that up, if you do a word study on this word proutes, which is the Greek word again behind the word meekness or humility. It's used of one that bends with the wind. Right? So you think of that willow that bends and uh, doesn't do so well in a heavy wind perhaps. Um, perhaps we would say today uh, a meek person or a humble person is one who rolls with the punches. Right? Do you, see, you sense the humility there? Not going to get back up and retaliate. Not going to get my rights back. Not going right? to exact vengeance. I'm a humble person. Someone has said, and it just occurs to me now, um, that humility isn't thinking less of ourselves, it's just thinking right thoughts about ourselves, uh, which, takes us, which should take us down a few notches, I would think, but we're not you know, groveling in the dirt, because obviously God considers us worthy to save us, right, to redeem us. So we don't want to go there. But anyway, that's what it means. Now, I've been gone, we've been gone for oh, 16 years, right? So we have uh, a couple of cats that are about 15 years old which means that about a year after we left here, first of all, my beloved cat Hank got hit by a car. So if, you, if some of you visited, you remember Hank and Ben, the gray one. He was my dog cat. He followed me everywhere like a dog, and that was his demise. He followed me across the street to the church one night when I was going to go turn off a light and got rolled by a car. <laughs> uh, that was tough, actually, at the time. But anyway, so we got two new cats. My new cat is named Hawthorne. Hawthorne, isn't that a great name? And yes, I named him after Nathaniel Hawthorne. House of the Seven Gables and all that. Hawthorne uh, doesn't roll <laughs> with the punches. I like to say Hawthorne just rolls. Not, as, not quite as heavy as George, but was getting there. Now he's losing some musculature. He's getting up in age, you know, how that happens. But uh, he, he, um, he, no, he was a, he's a bad cat. <laughs> what can I say? Which is redundant. He's a cat. But he will do anything. If he's hungry, Hawthorne, and, and he wants to get my attention, let's say I'm watching the news, he will start chewing on something that he knows is uh, dear, near and dear to me. Or he might even chew on a power cord. Or he'll start scratching the fern. He'll do whatever it takes to get me to move, <laughs> to get me out of that chair, and to do whatever it is he wants, which normally involves food. All right? So don't be Hawthorne. That's my negative illustration. Don't be like that cat. You always think about Hawthorne. When you're starting to get proud and haughty, you'll say, oh, man, that's, that's Hawthorne. Don't be Hawthorne, okay? Now, so that's point number one. Anyone taking notes? All right, well, I just pretend that you are. Number one, is there's just something about humility that is wise. Let's, let's look at verse 14. As we, we're just going to run down through a few verses. Uh, verse 14, but if you have bitter envy. Now, don't miss that first word. It's important. Uh, the word but. <laughs> What's that? that suggests a contrast is coming up, right? So verse 13 was all positive. You know, who's wise and understanding? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. But here's the opposite. If you have bitter envy. See, that's not, uh, that does not characterize a humble person. 
apparently it, it characterizes uh, the opposite or perhaps a proud person. So if you have bitter envy, see, that, that that's the mark of a proud person because that's all about I should have what you have, which goes back to I'm worth it, I deserve it, I work just as hard as you did. You see how that's pride, right? So if you have bitter envy and self-seeking, and there's the self-seeking, in your hearts do not boast and lie against the truth. Okay, there it is. I'm, I'm just picking up uh, on, on that last uh, clause. Number one, there's something about humility that is wise. We're selling it. Are you buying it yet? All right, there's something about humility that is wise. Number two, verse 14, there's just something about humility that is what? True. There's just something about humility that is true. Okay? Again, the contrast. There's something about pride, on the other hand, that leads to, um, that leads to envy. There's something about pride that leads to self-seeking, James says. And again, that's because there's an attitude involved that says, I'm worth it. Right? There's an attitude involved that says, I deserve it. Whatever it is. There's something about my attitude that begins to say, I ought to have that thing. And the point is, in part, at least for our application this morning, don't claim to be thorough. James is saying the point is, none of that is what? True. I don't deserve it. Right? Aren't we grace-based? Grace presumes at bottom that I don't deserve anything, otherwise I could earn it. (laughs) And so James is saying none of that is true. So what does humility do? Humility starts to give us a true um, picture of ourselves. Not groveling again in the dirt, worthy of God's uh, love. You know, in other words, there's something intrinsic about us. We're made in His image. He wants to redeem us, restore us to that untarnished image, which happens little by little each day as we can, we wake up each day and say, "I'm going to follow Christ today," and we're sanctified by the Spirit of Christ. That's happening until one day our salvation is consummated in the resurrection, right? But that that's happening. But 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 humility is giving me now a true picture of myself. And this is so important, especially if you're in the business world, as many of you are, as you work every day. Humility gives me a, a true, a true perspective on my environment, my world. Here's, here's what I'm saying, if you want to get pragmatic here today. A proud person often, well, Proverbs says, he, he falls a long way, right? Proud people have a long way to fall because what? In their own minds, they're way up here, so they have a long way to fall. But why do they get in trouble? Or maybe we could say in the quiet of our hearts, not admitting it to anyone else in the room, why do I get into so much trouble? It's probably pride. And, and what does pride do? Gives me a false perception of myself, but also a false perception of my environment, as in this. I'm better than everyone else. They're not so good. I don't really have any competition. What do we do? We underestimate the competition because pride has vaunted ourselves up. See what I'm saying? And so pride will give us that false perception of ourselves, of our world, and the way that we interact with that world. And it's just a, a deadly combination. By the way, I, um, I want to point out something else. If you're saved today, and I trust that you all are, you're saved today because... There, there was a time in your life where you humbled yourself before God. I won't turn back to the passages. It's in Luke chapter 18. I'm watching the clock. But you remember the, the beggar who pled for God's mercy and then there was the Pharisee, the publican, who said, I'm not so sinful. I'm not like this sinner over here. And he left unregenerate, right? Unsaved. But that beggar, have mercy upon me, O Lord. He left that scene saved. Why? Because he, he repented. He humbled himself before God. And that's the only reason 
that any of us get saved, right? So if you don't have a remembrance of that, that there was a time when we were contrite before the Lord and we just, uh, you know, as it were, bowed before the Lord and admitted uh, our true self to God in terms of our sin, and um, and we didn't and, and we didn't have that moment where we confessed our sin to God and received His gift of salvation. What absolutely freely by grace unearned. You see the humility in all of that. If we have not humbled ourselves before the Lord, we need to be saved. We need to be saved. All right, verses fifteen through seventeen, and this is the last set of verses for you clock watchers. Verse fifteen. This wisdom does not dis- now. This is still connected with verse 14, which is in contrast to verse 13. We're still in negative territory. This wisdom, in other words, we might say this false wisdom, does not descend from above. That is, it does not come down from heaven, but rather it's earthly. It comes from beneath. It's earthly. It's sensual. It's demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, which takes us back to verse 14, right? Envy and self-seeking, where that exists, confusion and every evil thing are there. But, now... Don't miss this but. It negates the previous one, right? In verse 14. So now we come to verse 17. Get away from that demonic, earthly, sensual wisdom. Get away from that. He says, but... We're back to verse 13, see? Back to where we started. Godly wisdom. But the wisdom that is from above, that is from heaven, where we started in verse 13. Watch this. This wisdom, he says, is first pure, then peaceable, Gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Let me give you the third point if you're taking notes. Point number one, in review, there's just something about humility that is wise. Number two, there's just something about humility that is true. Number three, there's just something about humility that is, I chose the word, good. To summarize all of that, there's just something about humility that is good, which takes us once again back to their starting point at verse 13. Now, just to cut to the chase, we could analyze all these words. We could do a three-week series on this, right? And parse out all these words in the Greek and all that. But here's what I want to say for our purposes this morning, just to wrap this up somewhat. (laughs) Because we have a little ways to go. I'm a terrible liar. It's really amazing where humility will take us. You see that? I mean, if we'll start living like James says we ought to live in verse 13, we're going to end up being that person described in verse 17. All of those characteristics listed there in verse 17, that could be you. Perhaps it is. That could be me. So that the wisdom that knows humility, that kind of wisdom, that heavenly wisdom, is the same wisdom that knows about purity and peaceableness and gentleness and yieldedness and mercy and goodness and impartiality and sincerity. And you say, well, how would... Remember, we're trying to sell humility. And I asked, um, why would we want to be humble? Because perhaps you're thinking that that's just going to drag me down. That's just going to... Turn me into that proverbial doormat that everybody else steps on. Uh Uh-uh. Did you see what he says? All those things would begin to characterize you as you put on the mantle of humility. And if you're that person... We talked about relationships, right? 
We talked about romantic relationships and friendship, you know, platonic relationships. We talked about seeking a lifelong partner uh, for our lives. Who doesn't want to live with a person like that? Who doesn't want to live with someone who's submissive, impartial? You see what I'm saying? Peaceable, pure. Who wouldn't want to live with a person like that? If you're a humble person, you are a magnet. You are. You would attract the most lovely people in the world. Now, let me take it out of the realm of relationships. I talked about success in business, success in the office, success in the factory, right? Let's say that you, you know, God gives you the privilege, the opportunity to assume some level of leadership in an organization, right? And you're having trouble, you know, passive resistance. People aren't really doing what you're wanting them to do. Uh, productivity is falling. People are grumbling. Revolving door, you're spending 30% of your day trying to find new hires, right? Life's a mess, Let's say you're the boss who is pure. Your relationships are all sound, above board. Nobody's threatened by you, right? Everybody, what, trusts you? Let's say you're that boss who is peaceable. There's peace in the, in the order. There's peace in the church. There's peace in the business place. You're gentle. There's that yieldedness or submission. What does that mean if you're the manager or the boss or the leader? That means you take the time to listen to people. It's not my way or the highway. You're actually uh, uh, somewhat democratic, or you build consensus, we would say. You're a consensus builder. You're that kind of a boss. You listen sincerely. You don't always adopt their recommendations, but they know that you listen. Okay, so you're that kind of a boss, and you're good, and you're merciful. You don't wield the, uh, you know, the, the stick at the expense of the carrot. <laughs> you're, you're good. You're impartial. Oh, my goodness, that'll destroy a team effort, right? If someone is uh, sensing unfairness, someone else is being treated better, all right? And so what if you're not that person? What if you're impartial? What if you're sincere? Well, let me tell you what happens. People will follow you to the moon if you're that kind of a person. Yeah, you'll be the person who who says jump, and yes, they're the kind of person who'll say how high. Why? They love you. They trust you. They believe in you. Because what? Because you were wise, yes. But why were you wise? Because you were humble. It's awesome. I mean, every preacher thinks that every message is the most important message you'll ever hear. But may I say, if we would just work on this, right? If we would just work on humility, look what falls out of it. Verse 17. Who doesn't want to live with that person? Who doesn't want to work with that person? What might happen among a group of people, even a church, Paul Paul Bible Church, of humble people? What kind of a mission would we maintain as we heard this morning from Pastor? It's a great mission. But what kind of vision would we cast? What kind of goals would we set that are not selfish, that are not self-serving, but that are for the good of the team and the good of the community? What kind of, uh, of values would we establish and live out? What kind of a church, what kind of an organization could we be if we were a humble people, if we were people like that, which James describes in verse 7 what kind of decisions would we make together if we were a people like that? So we're selling this morning. Are you ready to buy? Humility. There's just something about humility that is true. 
There's just something about humility that is good, and I missed the first one. There's just something about humility that is wise. As I was thinking about how to wrap this up, as we've been talking about some very practical things in life, relationships and you know, business and commerce and, and, and whatever our vocation, our family life, here, here's, what I, here's what I came up with based on the text. Humble people are the kind of people that God simply longs to bless. In fact, isn't there a verse? Finish it for me. God resists the... There it is. If we're not humble, think about it. If we're not humble, every day we wake up, we are fighting against Almighty God. (laughs) Really? Why not be on the winning side? All right? Humility. I said that humility is necessary in order to be saved because that is our proper response to God's saving initiative. Think about what God did to save us. I wonder if anybody's read Philippians chapter 2 recently. I love the passage. I'm going to try to quote a portion of it for you. I might mess up, humbly. (laughs) What does Paul say there in Philippians chapter 2? He says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. You say, well, how am I going to do that? This is a message of how to, not what we ought to, but how to. All right, let's be encouraged. Because Paul's not finished. Here's what he says. Here's how we can be that person who looks out for others. Have this attitude. We talked about attitude today. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not consider, uh, did not consider that something to be grasped. But what did he do? Kanao. He emptied himself. Taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he what? Humbled himself. Whoa! He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of Death, even death on a cross. So here's the wow moment. I said the only reason any of us are saved this morning is because there came a time in our life where we humbled ourselves before the Lord, repented of our sins, trusted Christ as our Savior. Here's the other reason any of us is saved this morning. Because Christ Jesus himself, who is God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped at. Like, I can't leave heaven. I can't leave heaven's splendor. He took upon himself the form of a bondservant. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. The eternal Son of God. It's a great passage. Each time we choose the way of humility in our Christian lives, in our Christian walk, therefore, what are we doing? That is probably the number one way that you and I can continue to be conformed into the very image of Christ. That is the embodiment of that image. If there is one word, one descriptive word that would describe the Lord Jesus Christ in his ministry, in his salvation work, it would be humility on the basis of Philippians chapter 2. And that's how we become more and more Christ-like day by day as we take on this mantle of humility and fulfill what God has called us to do, fulfill what God has called us to be. And so again, our prayer, what? God help us. God enable us to be a humble people.
and God will bless us. Individually, God will bless our families. God will bless our church because that's what he's asked us to do. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for uh, your patience. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your mercy, Father. For we know as we have listened to your word, we've listened to your servant James this morning, there have been too many times when we've let our ego, our pride, always lurking in the background to come to the forefront. We have soiled our relationships. We have held back the way that you have wanted to bless us in our business. We have, we have soiled our relationship with you. But Lord, we're, we're asking today, as we humbly confess our pride, we're asking for your help, Lord, that we might be humble people, that we might adopt to ourselves the attitude that the Lord Jesus had in saving us, who humbled himself to the point of death, even the death of a cross. So Father, as we leave here today, we ask that you would not let us forget these words. Lord, you would make us every day evermore like your son, in whose name we pray. Amen. There's some food for thought. Please visit thespeakingdeacon.com and get connected to the growing number of social media Christians. Thespeakingdeacon.com. Truth is here.